be able to be back this morning. Uh, I consider it an honor and a privilege to even be asked to be here for a lot of different reasons. And uh, I'll just say this, this church has meant a lot to me. Many, and I, when I say the church, I'm not talking about the building or the doors or, you know, fellowship hall, things of that nature. I'm talking about you. And uh, if it weren't for many of you, I wouldn't be not just here this morning, but even a pastor. Uh, this church has helped raise me. I was, uh, I made a profession of faith in the youth ministry here. I was baptized up there with one of my best friends, Morgan Deal. He's here today, by the way. And, uh, we were baptized. Everybody clapped because they knew how bad of kids we were at the time. <laughs> and, uh, and we've learned a little bit, not much. But we, uh, I mean, I tell you what, I preached my first sermon right here ever. Uh, Brother Shep was, I don't know how or why he did it, but he let a 20-year-old stand up here and preach two services on a Sunday morning to a church like this. And it was awful, by the way. If, it, you might have been here and you're like, it was. And, it, <laughs> and I'll tell you this, there was a, just a few of you in the crowd, though, that were like, it's okay, you're, you're going you're to be great. And for whatever reason, though, you know, the, the Lord called me to, to pastor and I've been uh, doing that for almost 10 years now, and uh, just glad to be able to gather here with you today. If you have a Bible, though, I want to encourage you to open it with me to Mark, not Mark, uh, Luke chapter 24. We're in Mark at my church, but today we're going to be in Luke 24. If you have a Bible, turn there with me. I hear a lot of pages turning, so I'll give you a minute. I'm reading from the ESV, uh, so if yours is a little different, it's okay. Luke, 20, Luke 24, beginning in verse 13, it says, That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. This was referring to the resurrection, or the, really the death of Jesus at this time. Verse 15, while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed, in word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped. It's a key word for us today. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, this is Jesus, said, O foolish ones, slow of heart, to believe all the prophets have spoken. Was it necessary that, that Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? Verse 27, And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the thing concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. 
He acted as if he were going farther. That's Jesus. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at the table with them, he took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were open. And they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. And they said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened up the scriptures to us? I want you to know this story is a very amazing story. It's got a lot going on in the story, and we're not going to dive all the way down deep into the, all the deep theological truths and uncover them today, because that's not what this time is about necessarily. But I want you to know this is a great story. I love this story, because this story is about two friends. Two friends that have come home from a long weekend. They have a lot of questions about things. And the reason I love this story is because it's a story I can relate to, And I think it's a story you can relate to. And the reason is, is because these men are confused. They have questions about who Jesus is. One of their names is Cleopas. Now what we know about these men is that they had been in Jerusalem. They're likely disciples of Jesus. Not not of the 12 original disciples. But Jesus, we know, had more than 12 disciples that followed him. And they were with Jesus in Jerusalem the day of his death. They likely were there. They likely stood at Golgotha while he was there being crucified and most likely watched Jesus take his last breath and die, be brought down from the cross, his lifeless body there, taken and placed in a tomb. And these men, if they were truly disciples of Jesus, would have heard the promises from Jesus that he would die, be buried, and then come back to life on the third day. But guess what? They see him die on a Friday. They wake up Saturday morning waking for him to walk out of a tomb. They hear nothing. They wait another day Sunday. All they hear is rumors about Jesus maybe coming back to life. They still don't see him anywhere. And they pack it in and they go home. They walk back home with a lot of questions, very discouraged. And the passage says they were sad, downcast. And the key phrase here, it says, they had hoped they had hoped and the thing that connects me to this passage and maybe you to this passage is that phrase as well is because in life i've had my hopes crushed too i don't know where you're at this morning i know though this story is important to all of us because we all have hopes and dreams and maybe at this point in your life Your hopes and dreams haven't materialized quite the way you thought they would or should. And it's caused a lot of questions to rise up in your heart. A lot of questions for God, right? Maybe you've gone to church. Maybe you were raised in church. Maybe you know everything there is to know about the Bible. You heard it in vacation Bible school. You've heard it in Sunday school. Maybe you're new to church. Maybe you believe in Jesus all the way. Or maybe you believe in Jesus but still have questions. Maybe you don't believe at all. I want you to hear this today. These men have questions, but what we see here in this text is that even though they have questions, Jesus still enters their lives and answers them. There are all kinds of questions we can have about God. There are all kinds of questions we can have about Jesus. All kinds of hopes we can have. We can have questions like, God, if you're good, why did I have a miscarriage? God, if you are who you say you are, How did my spouse do these things to me? 
God, if, if you care, why do I still struggle with this problem, this addiction, this desire, year after year? God, I have begged you to cure my depression, but I don't even want to get out of bed this morning. Where are you? What's going on? God, the irony of this story, though, is that it shows us, although Jesus has died and come back to life, there's actually nothing different about Jesus except his glorified body. The last time we saw Jesus alive, he was hanging on a cross between two thieves that had questions. Are you the Messiah? Are you who you say you are? If so, you know, remember me. And Jesus says, today uh, you'll be with me in paradise. Jesus breathes his last, last breath between two men with questions about who he was. And the very first thing after Jesus rises from the grave, he goes and finds two more men with questions about who he really is. Let me tell you what that means for you this morning. That means Jesus is not afraid of what confuses you. He is not afraid of your questions. He's not afraid of your fears. He's not afraid of your doubts. Matter of fact, he wants to meet you in them. Okay? He doesn't say, you know what? I know, I know all the bad things you've ever done. Brian, I know all the things you, you, you said you were going to do that you didn't. Guess what? I can't be where you are. No, Jesus is a personal God that comes to us in our doubts, in our fears, in our questions, on our own crosses. And he answers. No, I want you to see the God of all creation came to you. And all those, these men are full of questions. Is Jesus who he really says he was? We had hoped he would be the one to redeem Israel. Is he really the Messiah? Is he really God? In an instant, in the midst of looking for truth about Jesus, Jesus shows up. Which leads me to my first point today, and I think we have slides for this, and that's this. If you are looking for Jesus, I want you to know Jesus is already looking for you. If you're looking for Jesus this morning, I want you to know Jesus is already looking for you. Notice this. It says, Cleopas and his friend were walking back to Emmaus. This is about a seven-mile road. It's a very common understanding. Seven-mile road from Jerusalem to Emmaus. And they're walking this road. And although they had many questions, it's Jesus that first comes and asks them a question. Jesus comes first and asks them a question. Now, that seems odd because we know that Jesus is omniscient, right? He has a exhaustive foreknowledge which means he knows all things all possible things right why would jesus ask them a question he already knows the answer because the question wasn't for him he knew the answer before he asked and the reason he asked is we see jesus ask them what they're talking about and the reason he asked them it's because he simply wants to talk to them. Let me tell you what that shows us right here in this moment. Guys, I want you to see this today. Every, every ear in here, hear this right now. All Jesus has ever wanted from you is a relationship. It's all he's ever wanted. Being a Christian isn't about perfect behavior. Being a Christian isn't about saying a five-hour prayer. Being a Christian doesn't mean you have to sell your house, all the things you own, and give your money to the church. Now, I'm not saying Jesus can't ask that of you. But that's not what primarily Jesus asks of you. I want you to hear that he doesn't want your stuff. He doesn't want your behavior. He just wants you. Let me, let me take the pressure off you today. Following Jesus is not about what you do. Following Jesus isn't about how much you have. Following Jesus isn't about where you live. It's about if you know him and if he knows 
you. It's about a relationship. And it's one of the scariest things I see in our day and time, especially among my generation and the one previous to us. I know millennials a lot of days today, we get a lot of things heaped on us. But we got raised by generation two, you know. And I, I want you to hear this, okay? I know your feet are starting to hurt a little bit. Just calm down. I want you to hear this. One of the scariest things I see in the church, and I've served in Southern Baptist churches. I've been, been a part of them, went through Southern Baptist. And one of the scariest things I see in the Southern Baptist church period today is a lot of religion and not a lot of relationships. Okay? There's different things. Two different things. I want you to see Jesus doesn't want them to come and say, I have followed all the Ten Commandments. You know, I love you, Jesus. I, we've been looking for you. He just want, he wants them. Because if he has them, he has everything else. Now, you must remember this as well. Jesus says, what are you talking about? These guys are like, are you kidding me? I want you to know Jesus' death shook the whole community. Everyone would have known about it. Everyone would have heard about it. And this man comes up to them walking uh, on this road back to him. And says, what's going on? What are you all so upset about? And Cleopas goes, what? Were you just out of town all weekend? Were you at the beach? What's going on? How do you not know about this Jesus of Nazareth that died? Everyone knew. Now, Cleopas and his friend, they left on a Sunday morning. But I want you to know, it says they had first talked to Peter, one of the original 12 disciples, before they they left early that Sunday morning. And he had heard that two women had gone to the tomb and found Jesus not there, right? Not there at all. An empty tomb. And an angel said to them, and they said, Jesus is not here. He's risen. And they ran back and told Peter and Cleopas and his friend actually heard this news from Peter. And, and they began to tell this to Jesus. Well, there's this guy named Jesus we followed. We, we thought he was the Messiah. We thought he was the Savior of the world. And, and Friday he died on this cross. He was, he was murdered. And apparently this morning some women found his tomb empty. And they're saying he came back to life. I want you to understand this is the first time the gospel was ever preached in the Bible. In this form. Post-resurrection. The first time the gospel was preached. That Jesus died, was buried, and was raised. And the people speaking it didn't even believe it. You want to hear this? This is my second point for you this morning. Just because you talk about Jesus doesn't mean you know Jesus. Ooh, right? Just because we talk about Jesus doesn't mean we know, does not mean we know Jesus just because we talk about him doesn't mean we recognize him or trust him as our Savior. I want you to, this is what a lot of Americans do. It's what a lot of, a lot of Bible Belt churches do. Uh, I've seen it. I've done it. I've done it. We put our faith in Christ. We come to church. We, we say the, the prayer. We get involved. We're, we become a Sunday school teacher in six months. You know how that goes, right? A lot of Southerners do this, and it's kind of a way of life in this part of the country. We talk about Jesus, and we, we talk like we know him, but deep down inside, our lives show that we are really actually far from him. A few years ago, we moved back to Georgia from uh, Orlando, and we were down there working with a, a Grace Church. It was a non-denominational church, and we started a church down there. And uh, it's still going to this day, doing really well. Uh, but we moved down there with uh, a couple kids, and, and we have four now. And so we needed some help, uh, a lot of help. I don't know if you anybody with four kids in here. You know what I'm talking about. I see like one hand. And uh, all right. 
you, you need all the help you can get. So we, but we moved back. But while we were in Orlando, we, we started, like we moved down there, and it was like us, like my wife and, and two kids at the time. And uh, when you're starting a church, you'll, you'll take whatever. You just want somebody that's breathing to be in the audience. And, uh, and, and that's what we did. We met in an a elementary school cafeteria. God blessed it. It was great, great experience. Learned a lot. But one of, the, one of the people that started coming to our church, his name was Travis, very instrumental in helping us get the church off of the ground. And uh, Travis, though, was a, an aspiring PGA golfer. And he worked as a PGA pro at a course down there. And he invited me to play golf. He's like, do you, do you play golf? And I said, I play at it, you know. I like to play. And uh, so he says, I want you to come play golf with me and my friend uh, next week. I said, okay. So I set it up, and I show up, and it's a super nice golf course. It's where you, you, you don't park, they park you, and uh, they take your clubs out and all that jazz, put you on the, the golf course. You know, the courses I played growing up, you have to knock the natural light cans off before you get on the golf course. You know, this is super nice, extremely nice. And uh, you go out to the driving range to hit some balls first, and I, and I go out there, and and I see Travis and his friend. He said, this is my friend Toby McKeon. And I, I met him, and I kind of just stopped for a second. I said, I, I feel like I know him. This, I'm saying this to myself, not to him. That's creepy. And, and I said, I, I, I feel like I know this guy from somewhere. I didn't want to say anything. I didn't want to embarrass him because, I, you know, you know when you, you, you go do things with guys, you, you just don't want to be awkward. And anyway, so we, we start playing golf. We play a few holes. And it gets to be about the seventh or eighth hole, and I'm like, I know this guy from somewhere. Who is this? And I, I finally had enough. I went up to him and I said, look, man, I need to know how I know you. Can we, like, see if we have mutual Facebook friends or something like that? And uh, he started laughing. I said, why are you laughing? He says, I get that a lot. He says, you probably know me by my stage name. I said, stage name? He said, yeah, my name's Toby Mack. I'm playing here tonight in Orlando at Universal Studios. And I was like, you're not, you're not Toby Mac. He said, yeah, I'm Toby Mac. Now, some of y'all are like, who is Toby Mac? You, you might know this in a second. I said, if you're Toby Mac, sing a song for me. <laughs> and sure enough, right there, he's like, I don't want to change the whole world and lose my soul. You know, and I was like, you're Toby Mac. <laughs> I think I got a picture somewhere. Does that, did that work out? No? Yeah, yeah. We, that, that's me, me and Toby Mack. Uh, like, he hung out with me. I told him we were starting to try. He, afterwards, uh, he met with me. He prayed for me. This nicest guy in the whole world. Now, the question is, why am I telling you that story? I'm not trying to, like, look how cool I am. I'm telling you that story because for many of us, that's actually our Jesus story. That's our Jesus story. That was their Jesus story. Jesus was right there in front of them he was all around them and they missed him for many of us jesus is right in front of us he's all around us we've heard about him our entire life from our family growing up in church we say prayers before we eat sometimes we we think prayer in school would even be good we'd like our children and grandchildren to live good moral christian lives we know all kinds of songs about jesus we've heard them sung on the radio everywhere jesus is right there in front of us but we don't know who he is we don't recognize him you may know of him but we sometimes don't know him but i want you to see the good news I want you to see the good news. Cleopas and his friend had missed Jesus right in front of him. And Jesus 
He wasn't mad. He did call them foolish. But he wasn't mad. He didn't walk off and leave and pitch, and pitch a fit and say, I'm done with you forever. Leave my sight. How dare you make this mistake? That's not what happened at all. He says, Jesus pressed in. Matter of fact, Jesus had compassion on them. Jesus says, walked the entire road seven miles with them. And while walking this road, it says, Jesus explained all the Old Testament prophecies. How, he says, how could you not understand the entire Old Testament? 39 books were written about me. The prophecies are about me. All that history, it's about me. You know it. You've been taught it and you missed it. And now I'm here and you've missed me. And he doesn't say get away. He says, let me show you how it's me. And he explains it. Now, I've sat under some very uh, just, just wonderful Bible scholars. Just like, just like drinking out of a fire hydrant trying to listen to them. But I want to tell you this. I can't imagine what it would be like to walk on a road for seven miles while listening to Jesus tell you the intricacies of the prophecies of the Old Testament. Now, some of you are already asleep, okay? But I'm like jazzed up about it. Jesus, though, is, I don't you, there's over 300 Old Testament prophecies about Jesus in the Old Testament, dealing with his birth, death, and his resurrection. And Jesus spent time explaining those things to them. Jesus is, I, I want you to, to hear what's happening here. I want you to know, it says Jesus is the Word of God made flesh. So the Word of God was explaining the Word of God walking on the road to Emmaus. How fantastic and amazing would that be and i want as we just process this you can't miss what's happening here jesus is joining with them on their journey of questions and doubts and he is answering them walking every step of the way with them some of you this morning you're on it we're all on a journey and some of you have great amount of questions a lot of fears a lot of doubts concerns because things haven't panned out the way you thought they should some of you right now, you're, you're in high school and you're just ready for fall break to hurry up and get here if you even have one anymore, right? You want to get through with all that. Some of you, you know, you're in college or, or you're wanting to get out of college so you can get a job and pay off your student loans for the next 30 years that you've acquired. Some of you are like me, married with young kids and all you want for them is to just go to sleep at night. That's all you want. You... Some of you, you're not changing diapers anymore. You have kids that have grown up. They're, they're, they're getting ready for college. And you're wondering what fifth job you're going to take to pay for it. And there's so many. Some of you, you know what? Your kids aren't in college. They've moved out. You're, you're in an empty nest situation. And what you're learning is that you've actually got to learn who you're married to again. Some of you are retired. You're learning new rhythms of life and hoping to leave things for the next family generation that moves up. Here's the point. It doesn't matter where you're at on the journey. Jesus just wants to be there with you. Jesus just wants to be there with you on it. And he wants to answer every question you have, every fear you have, every doubt you have. And he will show it to you. On their way home, Jesus is walking with them. Every step of the way. And they get to their house. And it says that they decide to go into their home. It's it's late in the day. You know, kind of like a sunset situation. 
It's time to eat. And they go into the house. And Jesus is with them. And they say, Jesus, come in. And Jesus is like, no. Now, I, 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 I don't know if you've ever done that. I, I do this as a pastor. Because, you know, pastors, we don't typically make a lot of money, you know, a, lot, a ton. Uh, you know, we, we just kind of set. And you just you get what you get in a lot of ways. I, I want you to see this. So with four kids, I have to do this sometimes. Jesus is there with these guys. They're walking back to his house. Not to his house. To their house in Emmaus. They're walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus with these two guys, and they're going to their house. They're going home. And they get there, and they're like, Jesus, it's time to eat. Won't you come inside and hang out with us for a while? And Jesus is kind of, you know, being polite. No, no, you know, I don't need to do that. Sometimes I go out to eat with folks, and, you know, you're supposed to pay for your pastor's lunch and dinner. If you didn't know that, you should, okay? <laughs> and a lot of times we'll go out to eat, and you know how sometimes you get into that bidding war on who's going to take the tab? I do it, but I never have any intention of really doing it, okay? Uh, and so we, we, we go out, and they're like, they put the bill in the middle of the table, and uh, you say, well, I, I'll get it. And then they'll say, no, no, I, I'll get it. And then you have to go to, like, second base where you grab for your wallet, like you're really, no, I'll get it. And they pull back, and, and they say, no, I'll get it. And you say, okay, okay. And it's, it says Jesus acted like he was going farther. Like, he was, there was something happening here. And the reason is, is because Jesus wanted them to invite him in. He didn't, he wanted them to invite him in. Which leads me to my third point and final one today. Jesus always enters where he is invited. So they drew near to the village. He acted as if he were going further, verse 29. But they urged him strongly, saying, stay with us. Now, Jesus goes in. He's been with them all day, the seven miles. He's explained the intricacies of the Old Testament to them about the prophecies. He's explained it all. They have sat under the greatest, they've sat under the word of God, teaching the word of God, and they still missed God at this point. Do you understand that? It is possible to come into a church, sit here for 30, 40, 50 years, hear the word of God preached, and not know Jesus. If these men can walk seven miles and hear Jesus himself describe Jesus himself and miss him, we can too. But something happens. Jesus is invited into their home, and he enters because Jesus always enters where he's invited, and something happens. It says they sit down at the table. And the way you know you've truly invited Jesus into your life, into your heart, is because when he enters in, he becomes head of the house. Something happens here. In this day and time, first century Palestine, if someone were to come in the home, the man of the house would sit at the head of the table and break the bread and distribute it. Here, though, Cleopas enters in with his friend, He doesn't break the bread and distribute it. It's Jesus that does. Jesus takes the head of the household. Jesus takes the lead. He takes the charge. And he takes his bread and he distributes it. And he he breaks it. He prays over it. Gives it out. And immediately it says, when they saw that, their eyes were opened. What changed? What changed? Something happened. They saw Jesus, who was born in the town of Bethlehem, which is known as the house of bread, by the way. They saw Jesus, who three days before had taken bread and broken it, given it to his disciples to tell them what would happen to his body on the cross, is now at their table breaking bread and giving it to them. And when he does so, 
you have to kind of extend out your arms a little bit, don't you? There was something different about his wrist at that time, wasn't it? I want you to see what's happening. They saw Jesus breaking bread. And in that moment, they saw nail-scarred hands and wrists, the same ones that the doubting Thomas would have touched. And they know that there are many men with nail-scarred hands, but none of them are alive. And it says their eyes were open. He talked with them all day. He's now sitting at their table breaking bread. Oh my God. Literally. God is here at our table breaking bread. This is Jesus. The one that we had hoped would be the Messiah of Israel is now here. And we see his nail scarred hands. The proof that he has come back to life. He is with us. It says their eyes were open. And immediately it says Jesus vanished. I want you to know this. The scars on Jesus' hands, the scars that Jesus bears, can answer every question you could ever have. It will answer every question you can ever have. These men had many questions. You have many questions. But I want you to know this. A doctor, love doctors, they do great work. They can't answer every question you have. Psychologists, they 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 do great work, but they can't answer every question you have. You know what, president... I don't care what your view on that is. Can't answer every question you have. But there is one. And the scars on his hands can answer every question you have. And today, you may have questions and doubts and fears, but know the only answer to any of those things in your life are the nail-scarred hands of Jesus. And the only question he has for you is, are you going to invite him in? This time of year... I went to a CVS the other day and uh, was picking up some medicine. And I went in, the, the, the lady behind the counter says, would you like your flu shot today? I said, already? They're like, yeah, we've got some cases of it already. We've been handing out Tamiflu. So get your, get your flu shot, by the way. And I said, I've never taken one. I'm doing it this year. And I asked the question, I said, I said, uh, what's, what's the flu shot exactly? I said, is it a live virus? Is it a dead virus? And they, they said, well, it, it's kind of in between. It's a, it's a live virus, but it's a very, very, very weakened version of the virus. And she said this statement. She said, it's kind of like the flu without its power. Just enough to get your body up, to get you over the hump, and get you through anything that might come your way. Now, the reason I tell you that is because I think for many of us, we've gotten our Jesus shot. We've gotten just enough of Jesus in our life to feel good about our situation, our church, our circumstances. We, we have Jesus, but we don't have the resurrection power of Jesus. We have Jesus, but our life isn't changed. Our home hasn't changed. Our community hasn't changed. Our business hasn't changed. Our church hasn't changed. Our attitude hasn't changed. Our walk hasn't changed. And many times, although we... We say we love Jesus and follow him. Our faith is very lifeless and weak. I'll never forget many, many years ago in a revival in this church. Saw many people get saved and baptized. I think a guy named Levi Skipper preached it. And he stood right here and he said this. He says, most people miss heaven by nine inches. I'll never forget it. He said, the distance between your head to your heart. I want to encourage you today to be people that know Jesus, 
not just know of him, but know him. Notice what they say once they've come into, in, into understanding of who Jesus was and what they had experienced. Verse 32, it says, Then they said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he walked with us on the road? The way you know you have encountered Jesus is if your heart is stirred by his spirit. When's the last time your heart burned for the Lord? When's the last time this church saw a mighty movement of God because their hearts were on fire. I want you to know this morning, if your heart is not on fire, do not feel condemned, but feel encouraged to know that Jesus enters wherever he's invited. And this morning, he's calling you to take your next step towards him, to be on fire for him, and he will meet you there. I love this church. We heard a lot of history of this church from a, for 125 years. I would not be where I am. Many of you would not be where you are without it. This church is, is foundational for this community, foundational for the gospel going forth in this community, foundational for reaching the next generation. But I'm often, often reminded of the story. I'm going to close with this. I know you're hungry. Apple was created by a guy named Steve Jobs in the early 80s. And Steve Jobs started out of his garage, and he had made a few million dollars, which was a big deal that day and time. But Steve Jobs knew that he was an inventor. He knew that he, he could do a, a lot of things, but he knew he needed someone else to run the business. So he, he, he shot for the stars. He said, I'm going to go after one of the largest companies and CEOs in, in the United States. I'm going to go after the CEO of Pepsi-Cola. And so Apple at this time is nothing. You know, it's the largest corporation in the world right now, but at this time it's nothing. It had just moved out of Steve Jobs' garage. And so he goes in uh, to the CEO's office and begins to make his pitch on why he needs to leave a multi-hundred million dollar organization for his couple million dollar organization and be the CEO. And of course he gets laughed at. But I want you to know the CEO of Pepsi decided to actually leave Pepsi and go be the CEO of Apple because of one statement Steve Jobs made to him. I'm sure you want to know what that is now. Steve Jobs, he said he looked at him the only way that Steve Jobs could and he, and he said, do you want to sell sugar water for the rest of your life or do you want to change the world? Apple changed the way we do everything. Here's my question to you this morning. Do you just want to come in these doors, hear a sermon, and go eat? Do you just want to come on Wednesday night, just get your kids involved in some activities, go to camp in the summer? Do you just want to do that? Or do you want to change Douglas? That's what you're called to do. And you'll do that when your hearts are on fire for him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day and this church and the significance of it. Lord, thank you for the leadership here. I thank you for the congregation. I thank you for being God and Lord over this church. Lord, we pray today that we be challenged, but also encouraged to know that for any of those of us that have questions today, we we can have those answered in Christ and ultimately in his nail-scarred hands. Or for those of us that may know Jesus, 
or know of him but, but don't know him. Lord, may we experience his grace and the stirring of our hearts by the Spirit today. Father, I pray for this church in the days ahead that it would con- continue to stand on the shoulders of the generations that have come before it, but also be inspired to not just do the routine, but change their community with the gospel. Father, work in our hearts even now. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I think we're going to stand and sing in just a moment. The altar is open this morning, and this is a time of invitation. If the Spirit's working in your heart today, we would just encourage you to not stay put, but to respond to the gospel call. For some of you, that'd be putting your faith in Christ for the very first time. For some of you, that may be that you've put your faith in Christ many years ago, but you never took the next step of obedience and baptism. I want you to know, uh, maybe you're looking for a church home, and this could be it as well, and it's a wonderful one. We're going to stand and sing, and if the Spirit is leading you, we ask you to respond. Brother